one of my favorite movies because I'm a Christian and I was homeschooled at a point in my life, so it, it has to be this way. One of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. Anybody else uh, seen The Princess Bride? Yeah, it's like the classic Christian homeschool movie. Um, so there's, uh, there's Vincini, and if you haven't seen the movie, he's this little Italian guy, and it takes place, you know, hundreds of years ago, whatever. And uh, Vincini keeps using this word. Do you remember what it is? Inconceivable. He keeps saying inconceivable, inconceivable about every situation he comes across is inconceivable. And then, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Indigo? Yeah, the Spanish guy, Indigo, uh, says to him at one point, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means, which is just a great line, um, especially directed towards anyone who does a lot of talking. Uh, publicly. So, so last week I used a phrase and uh, my wife came up to me afterwards and more or less said, you keep using that phrase and I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> so, so a quick clarification, uh, real quick. I, I used the phrase, uh, do business with God. Now, in my, in my mind, that, that means what I have in mind when I say it's time to do business with God it kind of means the exact opposite of what the phrase means on a literal level. Because I believe so deeply in my spirit that our relationship with God is, is anything but contractual. We don't do business with God. God does not do business with us. He, he, he is not, um, we are not in a business contractual relationship with God where we hold up our end of the bargain and if we hold up our end of the bargain, God holds up his end of the bargain. That, that is not who God is, and that's not how, how he has relationship with us. God does relationship through covenant. Even if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, which I don't, every day, God is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to you and me. So, just a, just a point of clarification. Thank you for the wisdom uh, of God through my wife, w- when I said that, what I meant was wrestle with God. Wrestle with God about the, the hard questions, the, the places where your faith might be lacking or God wants to stretch you. Wrestle, wrestle with God. So uh, I apologize for that, and uh, thank you for your grace. And if, if it slips out again, now you know. That's what I mean. I mean, I mean uh, go wrestle with God. He's waiting. He's longing to have conversations with you. His spirit will speak and move, and, and he's open to that. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have all sorts of questions for God. I have all sorts of questions. Last night, I couldn't sleep for a while, and I was asking him some of the hardest questions I could think of. What about this? What about that? Why is this happening? Why isn't that happening? Why are my trees being eaten by uh, spotted lanternflies right now? Right, like all, all the different random questions that come in, into your mind uh, in the middle of the night. So that's what I mean when I say do business with God. Go wrestle with God. Ask him, ask him the hard, hard things. He is faithful and he wants to talk about that. So uh, thank you, Julie. Appreciate that. All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, which is actually uh, the second time I'm preaching on Acts chapter 3 in the last six months. Um, and I have so much. <laughs> I have so much. I don't know if I'm going to get to it all this morning. I have so much uh, that, that the Lord's put on my heart. I'm really excited. So Acts chapter 3, again, this is in the context of our series going through Acts. Acts and Luke are uh, part of one book that uh, the, the uh, writer Luke wrote. 
And as we approach this series, we're asking the question of God, how do you speak today? And how do we hear you today, the people of God? How, how do we, the people of God, discern your will? We need to hear you. Um, Julie and I attended one of the uh, small groups on Thursday evening, and we went around the table offering situations in our lives that we need the discernment of God. Like, we can't see a way forward unless, unless we discern God's will. And it was so beautiful as we sat around the table, each family, each individual sharing, this is, this is a situation I don't know what to do. And, and as we sat and shared and prayed together, uh, the Spirit of the Lord was faithful to be present and ministered, and each of us left, I, I, I hope, I did, I certainly did, encouraged and feeling a little bit more secure, a little bit more confident in how the Lord would work in those situations. So, we need that. We need that. We need community. We need God to speak in our daily life. Acts 3 reports the first of the apostolic miracles that takes place in the New Testament. Up until this point, we've heard about Jesus doing miracles, but we've yet to see an example uh, specifically of the disciples or the apostles doing miracles. Now, I believe it's in Matthew when Jesus sends out the 72, they come back and report to Jesus that demons were cast out and there was healing done in the name of Jesus. But there's nothing specific that we know about that. There's no specific story. It's just a general uh, statement. Acts chapter 3 is the first time that we see someone other than Jesus uh, performing a miracle in, in the New Testament. It's the first of the apostolic miracles. Fourteen miracles are specifically spoken of in Acts. There's four healings. Two people are raised from the dead. There's four liberation miracles. Like, uh, do you remember when Peter and John are sitting in chains and the angel comes and releases them? That's a liberation miracle. They're freed. Um, And there's one preservation miracle. That's when Paul was bitten by the poisonous snake and didn't die. The um, The healing of a paralytic is paralleled between Jesus in Luke 5, Peter in Acts 3, and Paul in Acts 14. And this is important. And we're going to look at Luke 5 later, because the same person who wrote Acts wrote Luke. And do you remember what he said at the beginning of Acts? He said, my first book, O Theophilus, contained all the things that Jesus began to teach and to do. The implication being that the book of Acts is about everything that Jesus continued to say and to do through his spirit, through the apostles. So there's a parallel between the healing in Luke 5 and the healing in Acts 3. In each circumstance, the physical healing of a paralytic gives opportunity to preach the gospel. So as we read the story this morning, here are a couple of things uh, for you. Note the interplay between faith, healing, and worship. Who has faith in this story? And it, immediately this faith leads to healing, and the healing results in worship. And the first time I taught in Acts 3, I taught on that process. Healing and worship are like the chicken and the egg. The more you worship, the more you're healed. The more you're healed, the more you worship. The more you worship, the more you're healed. That's how God designed it to be. And I'm talking about soul-level healing. Like when you spend time in the presence of God, your soul is healed. And when your soul is healed and you feel the chains of sin and the bondage and the weight of, of living in this fallen earth come off you as Jesus proclaims freedom to you, you know what you do? You worship. And then as you worship, God does a healing work. And it just, it's supposed to work over and over continually together. And we see that interplay in this story, which I love. 
All right, pay attention. Why does Peter believe that God has healed the man? Why? Why did God heal this man? Was it random? He had a purpose. He had a reason. Why? We should ask that question. All right, I also want you to ask this personally. What does God want to teach us through this story? So what does God want to teach you? Like today, 2018, as you sit in this room, what does God want to teach you in this story? And I want you to wrestle through this, and I don't think I'm going to have time to even touch this, but does God still perform miracles today? What, what, what does miraculous healing look like in 2018? What does it look like for God to do this sort of thing? So wrestle with that. Struggle with that. All right. So when we read stories, we ask who, what, when, where, why, how, right? These are, these are the basic reporting questions. These questions are also useful for the scriptures. I'd encourage you as you're reading narrative portions of the scripture to ask who, what, when, where, why. So who? In this story, we have Peter, we have John, we have paralytic, and we have all the people. Uh, what happens? Faith leads to healing, which leads to worship, which draws a crowd, which gives opportunity to proclaim the gospel. When does it happen? It happens at 3 p.m. This is important for, for the setting. Um, 3 p.m. was the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, um, the afternoon sacrifice. So there was two sacrifices that took place at the temple every day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. This story takes place just as the afternoon sacrifice is about to happen when a crowd is coming into the temple. Where does it happen? It happens, of course, at the temple, specifically near the beautiful gate. And here's the key question. This is always the key question for Scripture. Why? Why? This is the question that the Bible most wants to answer. Genesis 1 through 3, or the creation account, 1 through 2. Why? Why? Why did God create the heavens and the earth? Why seven days? Why male and female made in his image? The, the why question is the question that we're supposed to bring to the scripture. So, as we read the story, why? Why did God heal this man? And I believe that the text answers it. But, you ever hear the phrase, uh, if you ask the wrong question, you're guaranteed to get the wrong answer? Right? You can, you can get the right answer to the wrong question and still the wrong answer. So it's important that we ask the right questions in order that when we receive the right answer, it's to the right question. So when we're reading the scriptures, we should be asking the Spirit of God, why? Why did you heal this man? And what do you want to teach us through it? If we can answer that, that's a very good question to to have the answer to. All right. Beginning uh, for the sake of a little bit of context at the end of chapter 2, which I covered last week. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and this is from the New Living Translation, NLT. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and they devoted themselves to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. In this context, while this is happening and taking place, 
Remember, in the original scriptures, there were no chapters or verses. It's just a continued story. So this is the context. As they're sharing everything, meeting in the temple daily to pray, uh, meeting in homes to break bread together, which is share the Lord's Supper together. They're devoted to prayer. While this is happening, Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John went to the temple, which is their daily habit. So Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Remember, this is, uh, this is in the afternoon during the afternoon sacrifice. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them, for some money. So how are, how are Peter and John spending their, their time at this point in the story? What's, what's their, what's their, what are their days filled with? Filled with prayer? Filled with fellowship? Filled with listening to the Spirit of God together? So it's, it's filled with discernment. They're constantly, they're constantly in the presence of God, seeking the presence of God to listen to His voice and obey Him. So within this context, they're going up to the temple to pray. They're not expecting this man to be there. They're they're not God. They don't know everything. They're just living their lives. And as they walk up into the temple, this man asks them for some money. Verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. Wait a second, Peter. Verse 45 of chapter 2, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Hold up. Couldn't he have been like, give me five minutes. I'll be right back. Runs over here, gets into the, the collection purse, uh, gets, you know, 50 bucks, comes back, says, here you go. This is from the Christians. We love Jesus. He could have done that, Right? We just read that that's what they were doing. So why does Peter say, I don't have that? Look what Peter says. I don't have any silver or gold for you. That's not what I have for you. But I'll give you what I have for you. This is what I have for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. How quick does that happen? Peter said, give me five minutes, let me pray about it. See what God says. Peter's walking in the presence of God. He's been saturated, soaking, devoted to prayer. He's already with Jesus. He doesn't need to go to, go to Jesus. He's with Jesus. He understands that. That as he's walking to the temple, he's with Jesus. He's already in the presence of the Almighty God. Remember I said this last week. When you're walking along the street, you should, you should be reminded that the Son of God lives in you. You should live your life like that. Peter and John, walking up to the temple, they know that the Son of God lives within them. Dwelling within them, they come. The guy asks for some money. Immediately, Peter looks down says, look at me. He looks up at him and he says, what I have to give you, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Rise up, get up, and walk. Whew, it's awesome. Verse 7, then Peter, he doesn't even give him a chance. He's like, do you want this? Would you like it? Would you like to walk? Give me your answer. He doesn't even give him the time of day to respond. He says, 
I don't have money. I know you want money. I don't have money. What I have, I give to you. Get up and walk. He reaches down and he pulls him up. Who has faith? Who has faith? Peter. Has this man shown an ounce of faith? He hasn't even had the chance to show faith. Peter hasn't let the poor guy breathe. Peter reaches down. He took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, as he's being lifted up, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And he jumped up and he stood on his feet and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God. And I explained this the last time I taught on this. For the first time in his life, he went into the temple. Because before that, he would have been unclean as a person with a deformity. And for the first time in his life, he enters into the manifest presence of God, healed. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar, they had, been, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. How would we say this in 2018? Blew my mind. Right? When I saw that guy get up and walk, the guy who's been sitting in a wheelchair his whole life, blew my mind. They were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Anybody ever seen a video of a baby giraffe when they're born trying to walk? You know, they're all big and lanky and gangly and they're like trying to stand on their feet. It's really funny. If you haven't seen it, it looks better than what I just did. It's, it's funny. So, so YouTube, baby giraffe walking for the first time and they like fall down and you know, they, they get back up. So this man is a full-grown man, has never walked before, right? So there's probably a little bit of a little uh, drunken sailor uh, on a boat kind of thing going on. So he's clinging tightly to Peter and John. He's holding tightly to them. And all the people rush out to see what's going on. All right, let's pause there and let's go to Luke chapter 5. Same author, same writer. He's got some things in mind that are interesting Uh, the the connections are are beautiful. This time, Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, is going to heal a paralytic. And I've got it up on the screen if you'd like to follow again in NLT. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, Your sins are forgiven. Jesus does not say to the man, young man, give me five minutes and I'll go get some money for you. He does not say to the man, young man, let me ask God if he wants to heal you. Immediately Jesus sees him come down and he says, 
seeing their faith, young man, your sins are forgiven. All right, there's some interesting parallels. These are, this is a fr- these are friends that are bringing the paralyzed man on a mat, carrying him to the presence of God. In, in Acts chapter 3, it says daily the paralytic would come to the, the beautiful gate. Now this is a man who's paralyzed, so how's he getting there? Someone's carrying him every single day, like whether family or friends or, or uh, acquaintances, neighbors, whatever. someone is taking the time out of their day each day to pick this man up at his home and carry him to the gate and set him down. Maybe they got a cut of, of what he uh, got that day as he, as he uh, begged. Maybe they got a percentage of it and they had a deal worked out or maybe, maybe it was just out of the goodness of their hearts uh, because this man had no way to take care of himself that they carried and put him by the gate. So these men in this story, they climb up, this amazing story, they climb up onto the rooftop, they cut the tiles out, and they lower it down, which would just, can you imagine if that happened today? Like just the part of the roof comes off. We're like, you know, there's like construction dust falling on us and, and wires getting snipped, and, and then a man comes down. Uh, I forgive your sins. <laughs> what, a, what a crazy experience. So, verse 21, but the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier to say stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. In the introduction, I said, I want you to note this, that in each story, as the healing takes place of the paralyzed man, it leads to the preaching of the gospel. If this is not one of the most profound, clearest presentations of the good news, kingdom of God come to earth, incarnate, sacrifice of Jesus Christ, gospel news uh, in the New Testament. I don't know where to find a more profound, like this is amazing. The man is, has all the physical problems in the world, all the needs. He needs physical healing. He needs money. He needs people to care for him. He's broken. He's, he's would be far down the caste system in this society as a man with deformity. And Jesus looks at him and offers him the great treasure. Son, your sins are forgiven. You know, every person who's healed in the Bible dies later. Right? Like the blind people, the the people who were raised from the dead, uh, the the people who were paralyzed and and healed uh, 20, 30, 40 years later, they died. This is the treasure that never, ever ceases. Son, your sins are forgiven. You are healed. This is the deep 
healing work of God. Sometimes the Spirit of God, because the Spirit is mysterious, we don't understand when or why or how, sometimes the Spirit of God manifests in such a way that someone has physical healing. And it's amazing. And it builds faith. But that's just a tiny sliver of what true eternal healing is. Because true and eternal healing is this. I was chained in my soul, barred from relationship with God, unable to speak to Him, unable to hear Him, unable to access Him, unable to go into His presence and worship. And when I was lowered down in all my sin and all my darkness and all my depravity before Jesus Christ, He looked at me and said, Your sins are forgiven. That's what happens to us every time we go to the cross, right? When, when a child of God, paralyzed from birth, broken and held bondage by sin, comes to the cross and is lowered down, whether it's friends who bring him there, whether it's the Spirit of God that carries him there, whether it's brokenness that drives him there, whatever, whatever draws each individual to the cross, when we find ourselves being lowered to the foot of the cross in the presence of our crucified and risen Lord, his response is always, your sins are forgiven you. It's amazing. So let's go back to Acts chapter 3. Back to, back to Acts chapter 3. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went to the temple with him. All the people saw them, so the people run, and they gather around him. Skipping ahead to verse 12. I love this line. Let us learn from this line. Okay? Let's learn from this phrase. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. We've got to get better at seeing our opportunity and addressing the crowd. And this is, this, is for, this is for all of us. Peter, he, walking in the presence of God, he knows. God wanted to heal this man, but the point wasn't the physical healing of this man. There's a deeper purpose here. Peter, he sees his opportunity. You can see excitement building in Peter. He knows, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to talk about Jesus. I'm going to get to tell them about Jesus because this man was healed. Peter saw his opportunity And addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? Why is this so surprising? And why are you staring at us as though we are the ones who made this man to walk in our own power or our own godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant Jesus By doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith, In the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Again, who had faith? This man presumably had never even heard of Jesus or never had a relationship with him. Through through Peter and John's faith, 
in Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. My good friend Patty texted me early this week with just this verse highlighted and the word interesting. And I agree, this is an interesting verse. Verse 17. Friends, I realized that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. Just one cool thing that the Lord brought to mind as I was noting how interesting this phrase is. Um, You know, Jesus says, forgive them, they they know not what they do. So there's that. Um, And then... Peter said, how does he address them? What word does he use? Friends. He doesn't say, fools, you foolish people. You didn't, you didn't even know what you were doing, you fools. Peter, knowing that these are, some, some gathered there were likely the very people that were there shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He addresses them as friends. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. You had no idea what you were doing or you would not have done it. You thought you were obeying God. You were like like Saul before he becomes Paul. You were zealous for God. You were zealous for the integrity of Israel, for the coming kingdom of God. You were zealous and you thought what you were doing was obedient to God. But you ended up crucifying the Son of God. I knew it was out of ignorance. Verse 18, but God was actually fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Why why was this man healed? I believe this is the answer for us this morning for this story. Verse 19. Why why was the man healed physically? Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. The paralyzed man lowered on the mat before Jesus. Immediately, Jesus doesn't even worry about his body. He just says to him, son, your sins are forgiven you. And maybe if no one had said anything about it, that would have been the end of the matter. I don't know. We don't know. But that would have been enough if it was. That would have been enough because the man was right with God. This man was healed, and then because of the healing comes in that message. Comes in, and not just for this man, but for the whole crowd. Why was this man healed? So it would build their faith so that this, now repent of your sins. Realize, realize what you've done. Realize who Jesus is. It was his name that raised this man up and healed him. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Do you remember the story in John chapter 9 about the man who was born blind that Jesus heals? It's where we get the famous uh, verse, I once was blind, but now I see. Ever heard that one? Probably sang it. Probably sang it before, right? In that story, how the story begins is this. Jesus and the disciples were walking along when they saw a man who was born blind from birth. And the disciples said to Jesus, do you remember what they asked him? Who sinned? There's an assumption that's made. Who sinned that this man was born blind? His parents or him? Someone sinned. That's why he's blind. 
This, this is the assumption, the worldview of that day. If someone's paralyzed, if, if someone's sick, if someone's a leper, if, if someone's blind, well, it's obviously because either them or their parents sinned. That's why they're sick. What does Jesus say to them? This man's not blind because, because of sin. This man was born blind so that the glory of God might be revealed to him. And he spits in the mud and takes the mud and wipes it on his eyes. And the man goes and washes in the pool of shalom, the pool of peace. And he comes back seeing. He comes back seeing. This man wasn't born blind because of sin. This man was born blind so that God's glory might be revealed. So what's the crowd assumption of this man who was paralyzed from birth? Sin. Either his parents or him were a sinner. They were to be looked down. He was to be looked down on both spiritually and physically. To be barred from the presence of God in the temple. He could not go in. He was a lesser human being because of the sin. This man was not born paralyzed because of his parents' sin or because of his sin. I wonder if this story was going through Peter's mind at this point when he's preaching this word. Why was this man born paralyzed? So that in being healed, you might, we might repent of our sins and turn to God so that our sins might be wiped away. Verse 20, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus. Anybody want that? Want to be sent Jesus? For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through the holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. Every single prophet of the Old Testament looked forward to this day when Jesus would be glorified. You are the children, verse 25, you are the children of those promises and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you, the people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. There's so much more I want to say about this story. And and we're, we're out of time for the morning. So take it with you and listen and search through it. Look at Luke chapter 5. And, and compare the scriptures. Look at John chapter 9, that healing in John chapter 9 and the blind man. And, and look at how the, all the different stories interplay and speak to one another. Peter was present at those earlier two healings. And there, I'm sure when you, when you have an experience, you don't forget it. It's, it's there. And this is all coming with him into this sermon. Those experiences are coming with him as he's preaching the good news. But this is the crux of the matter for us this morning. Why? Why was this man healed? This is it. Church, receive this with me this morning. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to seal these things within us to continue to teach us this week. Father, one of my favorite worship leader 
songwriters. Jason Upton sings this song called Faith Arise. And as I'm, as I'm standing here this morning proclaiming the goodness of your healing power, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, I'm reminded of the song where he sings, Let faith arise, O Lord. Let faith arise. From the deepest parts of my being, O Lord, let faith arise. God, I would pray that for each person in this room, wherever they're at. Perhaps they're an older brother in the faith, like the older son who stayed enslaved for the father and wanted you know, their inheritance. Or perhaps they identify with the younger son who squandered their inheritance. Perhaps more pharisaical in their faith and need grace. Perhaps too loose in their faith and need grace discipline, the discipline of God, Hebrews 12, Proverbs 3, wherever each person is today, let faith arise, O Lord, from the deepest parts of our beings, God, let faith arise. Let faith arise so that we might know that as we stand at the foot of the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you have wiped every sin away, that we can stand in your presence receiving times of refreshment in your spirit, God. Let faith arise so that we might carry our brothers and sisters who have yet to receive the cleansing, healing touch of God into his presence to lower them down so that they might hear this message. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven you. God, draw through your spirit as you raise faith up in us. Draw each person into your presence to wrestle with you, God, to ask you the hard questions to cast their doubts upon you, to cast, as Peter says in his epistle, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Cast your cares upon him, church. Father, we bless you. We thank you for this story. We love your word, God. Oh, we would be so lost without the scriptures that your spirit gave us. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. We bless you. We bless you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.